In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear Saints, tonight we consider who God is, and we consider specifically the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself. Now, I'm going to divide the sermon into three parts. The first part is going to be about God, the Holy Trinity, who he is. The second is about God, the Holy Spirit, and finally, what all of this means for you. Now, uh, the only way we can know who God is is by the things that he has revealed about himself. So if God did not reveal himself to us, if he did not condescend himself, come down to our level in our language and tell us who he is in the words of the Bible, then we would have absolutely no idea who or what God is. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 it says this, that God dwells in the light which no man can approach. So, knowing that we cannot approach him as wax melts before the fire, so too the sinner would be consumed by the presence of God. So, out of love for us, God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And what has he revealed? He's revealed that he, the Lord, is one. Deuteronomy chapter 6 Verse 4 says, The Lord our God is one Lord. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4 says, There is none other, there is none other God but one. God is not divided into parts and has no lesser or greater part of himself. He is one. And yet at the same time, God has revealed to us that there are three persons in the one God. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are all co-equal and, and um, uh, completely God. Uh, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And we see this very clearly in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus reveals to us the name of God when he tells the disciples to baptize all nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then again in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, the scriptures say, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God is three full divine persons, and yet he remains one God. A common misconception about God and a false doctrine about him is that there is one God, but that he simply reveals himself as three different persons. So some believe that God simply revealed himself as the Father in the Old Testament, that he then changed modes and morphed himself into Jesus during the New Testament, and that, again, he changed forms and his mode once more by presenting himself as the Holy Spirit now. And yes, that is modalism, and that's exactly what it is, and it's wrong. It's that God will present himself or that God has simply three different masks or modes or uh, he changes throughout time. God is not presenting himself in three different modes or with three different masks or faces to us. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all at the same time, and yet he has no parts. He remains one God. This is amazing. The Bible reveals that in the creation of the world, God the Father spoke. See, so even at the very first uh, verses of the Bible, we see that God is already 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he is three persons in one. Uh, So we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God the Father spoke. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in John chapter 1, verse 1, we learn this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is Christ, the Son of God. The word that the Father speaks is the Son. He didn't create the Son, the S-O-N, the Son. The Son is God. So already we see that both the Father and the Son are seen in creation. Now, the question is, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, Genesis chapter 1 continues already uh, in verse 2 saying this, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And this is the Holy Spirit. In the very first two verses of the Bible, we learn who God is. Father, the Word, the Son, and the Spirit. Even more, God reveals himself again at the Jordan River when Christ was baptized. So uh, just a a comment here, a footnote. If you want to know why Jesus was baptized, go back and listen to the sermon that I preached on January 12th of this year. But for now, as at Jesus' baptism, we see the Holy Trinity show himself to us once again. When he, uh, not only at the creation of the world, but when he's going to redeem the world as he's making all things new. God the Father is speaking from heaven. Remember, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, is coming uh, out of the waters. And the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. Now, if God were simply three parts or three different modes of the same God, then he couldn't be present all there together at once. So, and this is the the troubling thing. We have this tension in the scriptures that cannot be resolved. God himself reveals himself as one and he reveals himself as three. And so which is it? Is God one or three? And the answer is yes, he is both. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet he is God. It's not that the Father is more God than the Spirit, as if there's some sort of hierarchy here, or or that the Son is more than the Holy Spirit, as if the Holy Spirit is less of God. He is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I know that everything I just said makes absolutely no sense, that it's all confusing, and in fact, it should be. We're not talking about a thing or a creature or some part of creation. We're talking about God, the creator, and we're talking about the one who made everything from nothing. We're talking about the one who confounds our reason, the one who created our reason and yet stands above it. His existence, his being, his essence is more than we can comprehend. We cannot comprehend who God is. Every other God, little g, in the world of every single other religion is a God that we can comprehend. Judaism has, a, has one God, no trinity. Islam has one God, no trinity. 
Hinduism has many gods, but there's no unity in those gods, just a, a polytheistic religion. Buddhism has no real god. All of these gods fit nicely and neatly into our little minds. They are understandable, and we can comprehend who they are in their existence. And now I would, I would argue that the reason these gods fit so nicely into our minds and make sense to us is precisely because that's where they came from. They came from man's sinful mind. We made them up. When I say we uh, here, I'm, I'm saying uh, sinful mortal man. And we made God these little gods according to our reason and our senses. And so also not only who God is, his essence and who, what his nature is, but also the way of salvation we have made according to our reason and our senses, according salvation through the law. Uh, we made gods in our image. But God is not like these gods because God is real. God is true. He has eyes. He has ears. He hears. He listens to prayers. He answers prayer. All of these things. And, and the, the false gods don't. But God confounds us. His essence, who he is, is confounding to us. Uh, when I was younger... I heard a pastor always say at the end of the sermons, may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in the liturgy, that's called the votum. And if you've been to Zion uh, in the past six years, you know that's exactly how I end all of my sermons too. But uh, you should notice, you should have noticed a difference here. That pastor said uh, that the peace which surpasses all human understanding but the peace of God doesn't just surpass all human understanding, but all understanding, even the understanding of the angels and the demons. They cannot understand what is going on when the Lord gives us his peace. And, and the reason I'm saying this is because I want you to know that the same is true for the essence of God and who he is. God, the Trinity, does not simply confound our human reason and understanding, he confounds all reason and understanding and every single mind in existence, every single thing that has been created cannot comprehend him. In other words, the angels of heaven who worship him day and night and stand in his presence, bow down and cover their faces because they can't even understand who or what they're looking at when they look at God. The angels in heaven are amazed and astonished at who God is. They can't comprehend what they're looking at when they look upon God. And they never will. And that means we won't either. I oftentimes hear people say, look, I'll understand it all when I get to heaven in the resurrection. And I say, no, you won't. You won't comprehend God now, and you won't then, and you won't ever. And this is why analogies that we come up with for God end up being heresy. God is not like a three-leaf clover or like, a, like steam and water and ice, or he's not like an apple. He's not like anything in all creation. He's not like the sun, nothing. God is God, period. Nothing compares to him. We have no analogy now, and we never will. 
That means every single day of eternity is going to be stunning, amazing, and mind-blowing in the presence of God. It will be anything but boring. So the Holy Trinity is not something that we explore. He is someone we adore. We don't comprehend the Trinity. We confess the Trinity. And so let that be enough and receive it in faith as the word declares. Now, the the purpose of this sermon wasn't to talk about the Holy Spirit, but I can't talk about the Holy Spirit with, sorry, uh, the purpose of this, this sermon wasn't to talk about the Holy Trinity altogether, but to talk about the Holy Spirit. But I can't talk about the Holy Spirit uh, unless I talk about the Holy Trinity altogether, because they can't be divided. In, but in order for you to know who the Holy Spirit is, rightly, you need to know everything that I said before. Keep that all in mind. And this means that the Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing. The Holy Spirit is God, fully God. He is a person, a person of the Holy Trinity. He's not a part of God. He is God. He's not the energy of God or some sort of impersonal force in God. The Holy Spirit is the Lord. I'm emphasizing this because of all the persons of the Holy Trinity, of all the persons of the Godhead, Christians tend to talk about the Holy Spirit in the weirdest ways. It seems like we kind of all agree uh, in the way we should talk about the Father. We all agree in the way we should talk about the Son, uh, right, to some degree. But uh, we don't agree in how we speak of the Holy Spirit. And this is where a lot of weird ideas come in. Many talk about the Holy Spirit as an it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is God, and that means the Holy Spirit is not going to do things that God himself won't do. The Holy Spirit is God and he behaves and does the works of God because he himself is God. However, most people just don't think this through. And so you hear people talk in different ways. They say, I feel the Spirit or the Spirit is really working here tonight. Or, or others will say, I think the Spirit is tugging at my heartstrings or that the Spirit is telling me something. And the point is, I want you to get this way of speaking out of your heart and your mind and out of your mouth. The Bible doesn't speak that way and so you shouldn't either. The Holy Spirit is not the feelings or emotions or desires that you have. To say that God must be speaking to you through the Spirit because you feel strongly about something or you see some sort of coincidence, uh, something, uh, uh, whatever it might be, to say that, oh, I get, I get this gut reaction, so that must be the Holy Spirit. To do such a thing is to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's breaking the second commandment. It's talking about the Lord in a way that he has not revealed himself. So the Holy Spirit does not work in ways that God doesn't work. So, how does God work? Well, he works through his word. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Next week, I'm preaching more about the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, exactly what he's doing. But for now, I at least want to cement this down in your minds, that the chief work of of the Holy Spirit is to deliver to you, to bring to you the word of God and the merits of Christ. And this has always been his work. 
How did the Holy Spirit work in the Old Testament? He spoke through the prophets and declared the things of God to us. You see this in all the patriarchs, judges, prophets, and servants of God. Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 21 says, The prophecies came not from them, not from those speaking uh, from the prophets, not from their will, but from God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, what was the first work the Holy Spirit did after Christ's ascension? It was the work of giving the word of God. On Pentecost, the disciples are gathered together and they're all, what do the scriptures say in Acts chapter 2? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they didn't preach nonsense or babble. They preached the holy gospel, that Christ has been crucified for the forgiveness of the sins of the world and raised for our justification. And they preached it in all the various languages, actual intelligible languages of this world so that people could hear these words and understand them and believe them. It's the Holy Spirit who brings you the word of God and he creates faith in your heart. That's what Jesus said he would do. The comforter uh, in, in John chapter 14, 14 verse 26, uh, when Jesus says, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And that's what we confess in the small catechism too. We say, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus, my Lord, or even come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, not by my feelings, not by reason, uh, not by my, my senses. Uh, he brings you the word, the gospel. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives you faith, the faith you don't have in yourself, the faith that comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. This is why 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 says, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that also means that if you confess that Jesus is Lord... It's not because of your reason or strength or because you drew that conclusion yourself, but the reason you say so is because the Holy Spirit has worked in you and created faith in your heart to wholly trust, to confide in, to rely upon the death of Jesus for all of your salvation. And that is what is so beautiful. We can't approach God or ever get to him. We can't approach him in his glorious light. He knows this. And so what does he do? God brings you himself. God delivers himself to you. And he comes to you to declare that all your sins have already been forgiven by Christ on the cross through his suffering and death. He comes to tell you that you don't need to understand him for your salvation. Rather, it is enough that God understands you. He understands your poor, miserable condition, your weakness and frailty. He understands your need for forgiveness and he 
gladly gives it to you. The Holy Spirit is not going to be content leaving you behind. The Holy Spirit loves you. God, the Lord, the Holy Spirit loves you. And he is the one who baptized you and washed away your sins. And he delivered himself to you. He placed the word of God in your ear and in your heart. Even right now in this moment, he is putting that word in your ears. It is the Holy Spirit working through the word, working through the airwaves, bringing that word to you where you are right now. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings you Jesus and feeds you his body and blood. The Holy Spirit is God and God is for you and he brings to you and declares the forgiveness of sins that he won for you, that Christ, the Son of God, won. Now, one last thing before closing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So this means that the Holy Spirit not only brings God's word to you, but he brings your words to God. He brings your needs, your feelings, your desires, your troubles, your sorrows, and all of your groaning too deep for words. He brings those to the ear of your dear Father in heaven, and he pleads to God on your behalf. And the Holy Spirit tells the Father, to give you the things that you don't even know what to pray for. And this is a great comfort. Because of the Holy Spirit, you and God are in constant communication, even if you're not aware of it. You are baptized into Christ, and the Holy Spirit is with you. He knows all of your thoughts and your worries, and he know, also knows how he's planned to save you from them. So in this time of uncertainty, when you look at the pile of bills, the fact that you lost your job, when you're alone in your troubles and your sadness, when you're overwhelmed by this life and you just look at it all and you just groan and you just sigh. And, and when you forget to pray in those moments because you're just so worried and anxious, the Holy Spirit is there praying for you, listening to everything, every noise you make, and interceding to the Father on your behalf. And he hears you, and he knows exactly what you're saying with every sigh, with every groan, with every grunt and every tear, every moment of disappointment and sadness. The Holy Spirit knows what you need. And he prays to the Father for you, for your sake. And so you're never alone. And the Lord is always on your side, even now. And you have this word which the Holy Spirit has brought to you. And he gives you. And through this word, you have all the gifts of Christ. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.